Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. I've got a treat for everybody. We've got my good buddy, Macro Alf, coming on to discuss quantitative tightening. And this is something that most people forgot about because they've been hyper-focused on interest rates. But maybe QT is a much bigger deal or has a more significant impact on the economy and maybe could trigger the next economic crisis and maybe more so than just the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates. So while we're waiting for Macro Alf to come on and explain this, let's go over to one of his recent blog posts. And it's something he emailed to me a while, uh, about an hour ago. And I was uh, looking at very, very interesting here. So let's see if we can zoom in. All right. So this is titled Liquidity. And this is the report from January 24th. Uh, and his report or blog is called the Macro Compass. So the Fed intends to drain liquidity at a rapid pace in 2023. And while the pace might be more friendly for the next three months, don't get distracted. Wall Street will soon start feeling the heat. So most of you understand that quantitative tightening is the reverse of quantitative easing, where instead of buying treasuries, now all of a sudden the Fed are either selling assets, could be mortgage-backed securities, or they're just letting them mature and they're not rolling over. So let's just say they've got a billion dollars in mortgage-backed securities that are maturing tomorrow. Usually they would have just, when they got paid, they would have just bought more of them uh, so their balance sheet wouldn't decrease. But now what's happening is they're taking payment. They're not buying more of the mortgage-backed securities in this example. And therefore, it's decreasing the size of their balance sheet, and it's decreasing the amount of bank reserves in the system. Why? Because whoever is giving money to Janet Yellen, <laughs> whether it's the non-bank entity or a bank entity, through taxes or buying bonds, whatever, those bank reserves have to go from the reserve accounts of the commercial banks down into the TGA, the Treasury General Account. And then when the TGA, the Treasury, Janet Yellen, pays Jerome Powell, or let's say those treasuries that are maturing that he's not rolling over, then what happens is they don't really exchange money. Jerome Powell just goes over to Janet Yellen's account and reduces it by however much she is paying him. So I know I skipped from a mortgage-backed security to a treasury, <laughs> but that's the, the, the basic concept. It would be the same if a bank or even a non-bank entity was paying the Fed for those mortgage-backed securities. They would simply reduce the reserve account by the amount of the payment. And if it was from a non-bank, then the commercial bank would reduce the liability side of their balance sheet by an equivalent amount, meaning your checking account, your savings account, uh, a commercial, a dollar liability of a commercial bank, which is a non-bank entity's asset, right? And he's got some, some balance sheets here so we can kind of see the transactions, but this is basically what he is referring to. He's got some fantastic charts here. You know, when I was reading this report, it actually made me think, it was actually almost like uh, reading a whiteboard video. <laughs> I 
And uh, it's just really good. If you guys aren't subscribed to his Macro Compass, I guess the website, we'll, we'll ask him how to subscribe, but the, the website, I guess, is themacrocompass.com. So I'd highly suggest checking that out. So with less reserves in the system, looking at this chart, investors will be more prudent when taking risks. Now, this is something that I actually might push back a little with my buddy Macro Alf. And for those of you who know, he is a extremely sophisticated investor. He actually ran a bond fund, a multi-billion dollar bond fund. So he not only knows what he's talking about, but he's actually put money at risk, which is a, a, a very, very big deal. That's really what separates the men from the boys, in, in my opinion. But uh, we'll have a discussion on that because I've got a, a slightly different view. But let's keep going down the report. So he says that he's not going to draw a line with the Fed's balance sheet, and basically the S&P 500, or at least the reserves and S&P 500. He says that's nonsense or bull. <laughs> I'll let you fill in the blank. But then he goes and he shows the balance sheets, just like I do in a whiteboard video, on how quantitative tightening reduces the amount of reserves in the system. And then he goes on to explain how these reserves are important because it provides enough liquidity for things like the repo market. And if you don't have enough reserves in the repo market, there's not enough of these things to go around. Therefore, uh, you have a lot of problems and the price of those reserves goes up, meaning uh, what people are willing to pay for them, the interest rate, and that's where you get a repo spike, like September 2019. So the premise is, as the Fed does QT, they're reducing the size of their balance sheet, reducing the size of the reserves, reducing the amount of liquidity in the system. This could impact big markets and the plumbing of the financial system, such as repo market. And he believes the Fed thinks that, well, it's not going to be a problem because Janet Yellen is going to spend down the TGA. He's got a chart of the TGA right here. So he explains correctly what would most likely happen when Janet Yellen spends those stimmy checks or whatever into the real economy. There, What is happening, your bank reserves are going from the TGA back into the accounts of the commercial banks themselves, and that gives them more liquidity. So as the, the, the Fed is, is, is decreasing the reserves, Janet Yellen could be increasing the reserves by spending some of these, uh, they're not currency units, spending some of the reserves in the TGA, which would, again, go back up to the commercial banking. He says, but that probably will only be a temporary fix because then he talks about reverse repo and uh, his idea that, well, maybe the Fed is depending on reverse repo to kind of subsidize uh, liquidity from them decreasing size of their balance sheet he says, well, maybe now you've got two trillion in reverse repo and you could see a lot of that roll over, or at least this is the Fed talking. You could see a lot of that roll over to where these money market fund managers say, okay, well, I'm getting 4% reverse repo or 4.25, whatever it is. Now I can go ahead and buy T-bills. So I'll go ahead and take all this liquidity. I'll buy T-bills. And then the reserves go from the reverse repo account back up into the accounts of the banksters. And then again, they've got enough reserves of liquidity 
to go into repo and do what they do. But Macro Alf points out that this may not be the silver bullet the Fed thinks it is from the standpoint of a lot of these. There's some regulations here that he describes, and I, I'd love to get his, his insights on this, but these money market funds, due to their regulation, they might not be able to suck up all of the treasuries that Janet Yellen is uh, auctioning off and or will auction off in the future that the Fed would have potentially purchased. And therefore, the burden of those purchases, buying those treasuries that she's auctioning off, is going to have to fall on the what he calls households. I would just call them non-bank entities. And so if that's falling on households, then all of a sudden uh, it's not increasing the amount of reserves in the banking system. Uh, it, it, in fact, well, it depends on what Janet Yellen does with the, the treasuries. We'll get into that as well. But uh, this, he calls it against QT hitting RRP, the sterilization way. And so he says that RRP, or the money market funds, might not be able to take this hit from what the Fed isn't buying. And therefore, that falls on the shoulders of the households, in which case it wouldn't necessarily increase the amount of reserves because the $2 trillion in reserves that are in RRP right now are kind of locked in there. And another thing that is really cool is if you guys watched my whiteboard video last night, I discussed this dynamic that he's going over exactly. And now I looked at it from a standpoint of why is M2 and M1 shrinking. And where he's going with this is showing how the treasury holdings of households have increased dramatically as the treasury holdings of the banks have decreased. So he's looking at it through the lens of quantitative tightening and liquidity. But uh, I, I sure wish I would have fallen on their support because it took me hours and hours and hours and hours of homework to figure out where M1 was going. <laughs> where, the, where, where were people spending the savings? And uh, I finally figured out that it was most likely going into money market funds and T-bills. Uh, you guys would know that if you watched last night's whiteboard video. But it's, it's really cool because I didn't read this report. And it's, it's great to see someone... It's got so much experience in the business uh, talking about the exact same things and coming to the exact same conclusions um, and just uh, w without us talking to one another or kind of comparing notes. Yeah, so I went over the assets and money market funds, the billions. Yeah, this, this is, these are such huge numbers it doesn't give you the whole scope. And the, the chart I used, I, I pointed out, and this was from the Fed. Actually, it might be a little different than this chart, so we'll have to compare notes here. But I had a chart from the Fed that showed from April 22 to December 22, assets and money market funds went up by, uh, it was about $1.2 trillion. You know what? Maybe mine was retail. Mine might have been retail money market funds, and this is money market funds in total. I know I wanted to specifically focus on on retail because, in fact, let me show that. See, there you go. So this is the chart I was referring to where if you go to April 22, you're at, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting all mixed up here. I was actually looking at uh, reverse repo as a proxy, as a proxy 
before the money flows into money market funds in total. And I showed that we got about 1.6 or one, I guess it was maybe 1.8. And then we went up to call it 2.2 or so. So a pretty significant increase in what's going into reverse repo. But let's go back to that, uh, those retail. That's really interesting. So looking at retail, we had 988 billion in April 22. And then we had about, so call it another 200 billion. So that would make sense with what I was saying in that whiteboard video. It might not equal exactly what we saw in reverse repo, which is what I was using as a proxy, but we do see a significant increase in people taking money and putting into money market funds, which would have most likely come out of their savings account. Because again, if you guys watched that whiteboard last night, you know that that's the only part of M1 that went down. You've got three components of M1. You've got savings accounts. They call it something else because there was a couple other components in there. But the main thing with that metric is savings accounts. Currency and circulation and checking. And currency and circulation and checking actually went up. The only thing that went down, and it went up, and it went down by a massive amount, like $1.2 just in eight or nine months, was that, that savings account component of M1. And the only reason M2 went down is because of M1, because the only other components outside of M1 that make up M2 went up as well. So let's get back here. Josh, how are we doing? Oh, oh we're still waiting for Alpha. Okay, cool. Let me get back. So this is obviously what I love to do, to geek out on these, on these balance sheets. And if you want to understand the plumbing, you've got to do this. You've got to just set up these little stick key balance sheets with the liabilities on the right, assets on the left. And you've got to just go through step by step by step. Okay. The Fed does. So you see what macro alpha is doing. This is probably the biggest takeaway from this entire video is just teaching you how to think. And, and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying teaching you how to think and solve problems when it comes to the financial plumbing and teaching you how to better understand the financial plumbing. So you can come to these conclusions as well. So you've got all parties involved. Again, this looks like one of my whiteboard videos. You've got the government, you've got the Fed, you've got the banks, money market funds, households, let's call them non-banks. And uh, I guess he's doing that to differentiate between the money market fund and the household itself, because those are both technically be non-banks. And then you've just got their balance sheets here. You've got the assets, liabilities. And then so if the uh, Fed does quantitative tightening plus households allocating into money market funds, the banks get hit hard because those money market funds uh, take basically what happens are the reserves are being decreased by the Fed doing quantitative tightening and the reserves are being decreased by the households going into money market funds because money market funds are taking those reserves from the banking system right down into reverse repo. Those are the big three components on the asset, excuse me, on the liability side of the Fed's balance sheet. You've got the bank reserves, so those are the, or excuse me, the reserve accounts of the banks. You've got the TGA, which is Janet Yellen's account, and you've got reverse repo. 
Now, there's some other components in there, but these are the big three, probably let's say 95% of the liability side of the Fed's balance sheet. So when you're thinking about how these reserves can be reduced, therefore, how can we get this liquidity squeeze that could potentially be a black swan type of events, you've got to just say, okay, Fed selling, all right, or let's say Fed allowing to mature, it's not as easy as, okay, uh, the reserve accounts go down. Well, maybe, but maybe not. It depends on who is buying the treasuries that Janet Yellen is now selling into the market as opposed to the Fed buying them in the secondary market to the primary dealer banks when they're doing quantitative easing. And so as I say that, most, that probably makes most of your head spin or your eyes kind of glaze over and you say, oh, George, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, when, <laughs> but actually, believe it or not, this is really important stuff. And for whatever reason, I love it. I don't know why, but uh, I really enjoy this stuff. And for, to me, it's like super exciting. Shows you how weird I am. But my point is if you just throw up these balance sheets and then think through how each one is impacted by a specific transaction, then you're just going to have this incredible sixth sense when it comes to understanding uh, global macro, period. And that just gives you such a massive edge when it comes to investing. I mean, let's think about this here for a moment. Macro Alf managed billions with a B, billions of dollars in a bond fund. And what he is doing here, although at surface level may sound or may seem very complex, I guarantee you he was doing this when he was managing money. And this is how he made, this is one of the ways, that he made decisions on what to do with those billions and billions of dollars in trying to predict or assess probabilities of specific outcomes in the future. And this is basically what money managers are doing, right? The game of probabilities. So if he is, my point is, if he is creating a report like this, this gives you insight into his thinking. The thinking of someone that is at the very top of the food chain as far as people that should understand the global monetary system. And if he is just going through this, just like I would on a whiteboard or just like you can do yourself on a whiteboard or just like this legal pad right here, you can do this exact same thing. So if you are doing this while trying to assess probabilities, basically, you're putting yourself in the same category or you're thinking along the same lines or you've got the same type of edge as someone who has been managing billions and billions and billions of dollars. And, you know, you compare that to just watching CNBC and Jim Cramer and understand that in the marketplace, those are the individuals you're competing against. So who do you think is going to win that one? <laughs> <laughs> Conclusions. People cheering for the liquidity comeback are up for a nasty surprise. The rapid TGA drawdown out of the debt ceiling saga will only marginally stabilize bank reserves. And we discussed that. I'll kind of, I don't want to steal too much of his thunder here, so we'll discuss that in more detail when he gets on. Uh, 
let's see, let me repeat this here. The rapid TJ drawdown ahead of the debt ceiling saga will only marginally stabilize bank reserves, which are set to keep falling rapidly. So what the point he's making, I don't know if I totally agree with this, but the point he's making is that if bank reserves go down, liquidity goes down, risk of repo market blow up goes up. And not just repo, but a lot of things in the plumbing. But that's the one that comes to most people's mind. In fact, much more rapidly than people think. On top of the long-lasting QT validated by Waller, and this is, uh, I'm not sure what his first name is, but this is the Fed official that uh, I think is probably most hawkish or has said that QT is going to last until the Fed is uh, you know back to $800 billion where they started in 2008. I don't know if he said that exactly, but that's kind of the concept of what he's talking about. So households shifting their preferences from bank deposits to T-bills or money market allocations. And again, literally exactly what I was saying on last night's whiteboard video. So it's so cool to see him talk about the exact same thing um, as someone who managed billions and billions of dollars. I mean, I've obviously got a ton of respect for uh, Macro Alf, and uh, to see me discuss and come to the same conclusions that he's coming to on one of my whiteboard videos is, is, is really, really cool for someone like me who geeks out on this. So bank reserves to fall by over $1 trillion in 2023. One thing I did not go over in last night's whiteboard video that I'm going to go over in tomorrow's whiteboard video is where is the line in the sand where the bank reserves... So let's shelf the liquidity crisis for a moment. But where is the line in the sand where the banks have to start competing for deposits again? This is huge. And nobody is talking about this right now. So what I'm saying is prior to 2007 or 2008, prior to quantitative easing, the banks had about 40 billion, 40 with a B, billion of bank reserves. Total. Total, 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 total. Now, as you can see by macro ALF's chart, they've got 3 trillion. All right? So if you want to talk about a liquidity crisis with 3 trillion, how on earth was there not a liquidity crisis with 40 billion? <laughs> right? So, granted, counterparty risk was way, way, way different, a perceived counterparty risk. But the whole point is back then, and most of you probably remember this, when the Fed would increase interest rates, Fed funds, what would happen to the amount you were being paid on your savings account or your checking account? It would go up almost in lockstep. Now what happens? Well, the Fed raises rates from zero all the way up to, let's say, 4.5%. But what happens to the amount that you are being paid on your checking and savings account? It didn't go up. Okay, it goes up 25 basis points. Who cares? <laughs> so the Fed raises by 450 basis points, and you get a measly 25. When prior to quantitative easing, if the Fed would have raised by 450 basis points, the amount the banks were paying you as a depositor would go up by almost the same amount. Why? Because they were competing for your deposits. Why? 
because that was the cheapest form of bank reserves they could get. You're basically giving them a cheap loan, a loan that's cheaper than they can get repo or um, whatever the case may be, how else they would get those reserves that they needed. The reason there's such a delta now is because they're flushed with reserves to the point where they don't even want your deposits. Not only are they not competing for them, they want to get rid of them. Like, depositors, eh, get out of here. We don't need your stupid deposits. We got plenty of George. Yeah. I don't know how far I just got here. All right. Hello. Hi, George. What's up, brother? Hey, how are you doing? Of course, I'm Italian, so I'm late. Come to me. No problem. No problem. I was just going over your report here, and I probably for the last 20 minutes, and it's it's really, really cool on a lot of different levels. But uh, one thing that I was mentioning is I did a whiteboard video last night, and it was more looking at this through the lens of the decrease in M1 and M2. Okay. I was trying to figure that out. And uh, But what was interesting is I came to pretty much the exact same conclusions that you outline in your report. Uh, and what I mean specifically is that Basically, M1 or M2 has gone into reverse repo, money market funds, and T-bills. Yeah. And it took me, I told everyone on the, on the live stream, it took me like literally hours of like CSI detective work <laughs> to try to figure out where the hell M1 went. Where did it go? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then, That's why we know that either we're both idiots or we're both right. At least that's all we know. That's all we know. Well, I think I think the data is on our side because, as you point out, the uh, in fact, you know, I pulled up this chart. Let me show it to you right now. You might get a kick out of it. Can you see this? Yes. Okay. So you pointed out that the banks are decreasing their treasury holdings. Correct. It's not just the banks. It's everybody. Yeah. <laughs> except well, I, except I, retail. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And I just took the banks to show an example. You know, money is complex. Uh, as you say, it takes hours to, to decompose all of But the main point, George, was in the article, um, look, if households are required to buy treasuries because banks are selling them, because pension funds are selling them, because nobody's owning them, then what really happens is that households are taking bank deposits that they could spend in the economy. They could buy a television. They could do whatever on their house. Instead, they're buying treasuries, which means they are not only taking the deposits and they're they're taking them away from the real economy and locking them in treasuries. That's already bad for potential economic growth. But on top of it, they're drying up the banking system of these deposits because, hey, George, if you own a bank deposit, you own it, you know, you, you have parked it somewhere at JP Morgan, I don't know. So the moment you decide to buy treasuries, you take the deposits out of the system. Now, do that on a large scale, and what happens is that QT dries the, the reserves on the asset side. You are drying the deposits of the banking system. Eh, we need to start talking about what happens on this funding mechanism on the banking system side. What happens to the repo market? Do they need to fund their position, find another funding mechanism? Because you are taking the deposits away. Next, on the liability side of the banking system. So do they need a new liability? Do they need the repo? Do they need to tap that market more? They need the euro dollar market. So there is a lot to discuss here. But QT is being compounded by the fact that households all of a sudden find that parking money at JP Morgan and making 0% is not a great deal. 
when you can buy T-bills at 5% or park it in a money market fund. They're draining away deposits from the system. That's important to know. Yeah. The, the point there is if they're buying T-bills, then those reserves are going from the banks down into the TGA. If they're going to money market fund, then they're going from the banks down into reverse repo. But, you know, there's one thing I'd like to add to your report that might make it even worse, if that's the right word, than your conclusion. And let me hear your thoughts on this. So we'll go over to your report. Sure. And you can see this? Yeah. Okay. So you were talking about them getting a temporary reprieve by Janet Yellen. Yes. Ending the, the, the TGA. Here we go. Yeah. Right here, Treasury General Cup. But this is, I don't know if I went over this in the whiteboard video, or it might be tomorrow's whiteboard video. But one thing I was thinking through is, wait a minute. If, let's just assume for a moment that this entire drawdown in the TGA isn't going out to stimmy checks, but let's just say that it's going to pay off the Fed. Well, then all of a sudden, <laughs> those reserves are, are going to reserve heaven. They're, they're not going back into the banking system, even though she's drawing down the TGA. What do you think of that? So hmm, that's actually a, an interesting point. I haven't thought of that, but this could be, the thing is that it takes a little bit of time for that effect to kick in because it's, it's spread over time. So when, when, the, when the government draws down the Treasury General account, what they are doing really is they are reducing one item of the liability side of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Right. It means reserves actually go up to offset that. But most importantly, apart from the reserve side, is that the, the government is spending the money. They're taking money away from the TGA because they need to fund their expenditure. They cannot issue bonds anymore. Right? Usually, usually. Yeah, usually. But I'm just, as a thought experiment. Now, I'm just saying, saying, now you're saying, what if they actually need to use that money? To pay off the Fed. Yeah. Because the way they, and most people think, because they just look at it in terms of how they act in their real life, that if someone pays the Fed, if Janet Yellen pays the Fed, she would literally give them like money or bank reserves or something like that. But you know that if they pay the Fed, the Fed doesn't get anything. All they do is reduce Correct. the amount in the TGA. They just yes. delete deposit. They just delete bank reserves. So, just again, as a thought experiment, let's just say that all of this TGA drain or future TGA drain is going to pay off the Fed. Then those reserves don't go back into the banking system. It's no. even worse than you were saying. <laughs> and it's even worse. Yes, that's even worse. So the point I was trying to make in that piece is. Even if you don't make all these assumptions that could happen, like, you know, banks keep not buying treasuries, households need to keep buying treasuries, and they take deposits away from the system, they make things worse. What you just highlighted, even if you don't make these assumptions, the, I'm going to say this now, liquidity side, which is a, a, an abused word, really, just define yeah, what yeah. it is. Bank reserves, repo, reverse, repo, just call it with a name. So in this case, bank reserves, what people dub as liquidity, it's mostly bank reserves. These bank reserves might hang around there for another two to three months because of this TGA story, etc. But hey guys, have you missed the forest for the trees? And the forest is that quantitative tightening will keep going at 95 billion a month because these guys mean business until they break something. They always do at the end of the day. But so far, it seems that, you know, they haven't yet broken something for good. They're trying hard with the housing market, I would say, George, but they're not there yet, uh, having it broken completely. They will continue with QT. 95 billion a month of QT means reserves will keep shrinking. Let me throw another, 
let me throw in. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. And I'm going to throw in. Well, then TGA replenishment, because people are very myopic and they're like, look, they're going to spend down the TGA to zero. Yeah, okay. They're going to spend it down to 50 billion or whatever is normal amount. But what happens when they solve that crisis story? They always do solve that crisis story. It's a self-imposed political farce, basically. Right. They solve it. What happens after, George, is they need to replenish the TGA. Replenishing the TGA is... to sell bonds. Or taxes. Right. Or taxes. There you go. Taxes, bonds. So you drain resources from the system. Again, you'll be doing... You'll be basically compounding QT in the second half of the year. And that's the big picture people should be forgetting, together with the fact that Bank of Japan is not going to be doing any yield curve control anymore, most likely, from the second half of the year. Europe is doing quantitative tightening, George. So Europe, I mean, I want to say this a couple of times because I can't believe it as well. Europe is trying to do quantitative tightening. So everybody, not only the US, are draining bank reserves from the system, will be draining bank reserves from the system. This is a global bank reserves picture. And I also put the chart in the article to show Europe across the US, at least, on a bank reserves perspective, it's looking negative in the second half of the year, and pretty much so. So that's the big picture. How many people possibly? Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. My next question, and I know I'm bouncing around here, and I'm actually going through this for tomorrow's whiteboard video, is... At what point do the reserves get down to a level that will force the banks to once again compete for deposits? Yes. So where I'm going with this is prior to the GFC, as you know, there was maybe 40 billion with a B of bank reserves, which actually included vault cash, by the way, uh, in the system. So if the Federal Reserve raised rates by 400 basis points, there was a very high probability that the amount you were being paid in your checking account, JP Morgan or Wells Fargo, whatever, or savings account would go up at the same rate because those banks were really competing for those reserves because that was their cheapest uh, source of funding. But right now, as it is, you know, going to that chart with four, uh, three or four trillion in the system, a lot of these banks are like, ah, these depositors, we don't even want them. So they, they can pay them a measly you know, 25 basis points while the Fed is paying them 4.5% on their reserves because the bottom line, they don't have to compete. And that is what is motivating the retail to buy the treasuries in the first place. So let's just assume for a moment that they continue to draw down the bank reserves to a point where the banks all of a sudden are like, oh, shoot, we've got to pay people you know, 
one percent. We got to pay people two percent. We got to people pay people maybe even four percent in order to get these reserves we need because that's the cheapest form of lending or or the cheapest uh, source of borrowing for them. And that then then all of a sudden the incentive for retail to take that the that liquidity and put it into treasuries is no longer there. Then what on earth happens to the the bond market in that case. And I'm, I know that's just one variable because yeah. um, I think we're both in, in agreement that what the yield curve is telling us right now is that there's plenty of demand for treasuries, even at the long end of the curve. But I was just trying to think through if our only buyer right now, if the only one that is increasing the amount of treasuries on their balance sheet right now is retail. And as a result of QT, that's no longer the case. Then who's your buyer? I don't know. So look, at the moment we have looked at the US, George, and in the U.S., retail um, has been supporting treasuries, um, and that makes sense, right? I mean, they get nothing from banks. They get 5% from treasuries. Why not? I would do the same. But you have to look outside the U.S. as well. So you get um, global players that obviously use treasuries as collateral, so they right. need continuous collateral. Uh, take a reserve um, a manager, for instance, so you're Saudi Arabia and you sell oil, you sell it in dollars, you get dollars. What do you do with these dollars? You buy treasuries, right? That's what you do because you want to keep these dollars somewhere when they yield something, right? And you want to have this safe collateral you can use, which is treasuries in case you need to use it. So this demand from the outside world, I think, especially when you are a bit in a deleveraging episode, so you are, the economy slows down. When the economy slows down, people that are over-indebted need to try and repair their balance sheets. And repairing their balance sheets means that they need to bid up dollars. They need the dollar, they need to get their hands on dollars so they can repay their liabilities and destroy credit in the first place. That's how you deleverage. That's a balance sheet recession. We are not there yet, but there are signs of frothy, overheated, over-indebted markets where these deleveraging episodes have happened. And actually, the collateral becomes more expensive because everybody right. wants this collateral in, the, in these episodes, right? So take always the bond market and you know, I mean, you, you have done also white wood videos on that. And you, I'm, not, I'm saying nothing new to you, but the, the treasury market is a global market, not only a domestic yeah. market. So that's my first consideration. And then the second one was, uh, I don't remember the first question, maybe. I'm sorry. Oh, I, no, no problem. I was talking about uh, the, the long end of the curve going up as a result of uh, banks having to now compete for oh, yeah. deposit because the reserves go down. The deposit competition, right? That was a good question. So um, at the moment, there is not really so much need, right? I mean, these reserves right. are very abundant. And, you know, right. I'm just uh, trying to figure out the line in the sand yeah. because obviously it's not $3 trillion and it's not $40 billion. So <laughs> where is it? So, I don't know. <laughs> so, so one uh, data we have is looking at 2019. Do you remember the repo market blow up sure. in 2019? So that was because the Fed was keep doing QE in 2019, even, even if they're basically that pivoted already, but this QT was running in the background. And at some point you had the level of, of reserves, which was like one and a half trillion, something like that, around this line, if I remember correctly, it blew up, it was too little. Um, now we have more uh, competition, I would say. The first is these treasury yields are very high, so they suck away and deposits more rapidly. And the second is money market funds. I mean, this reverse repo thing, it's also the same thing if you think about it, right? Because George, as a, as a depositor, you can either buy treasuries or you can park money in a money market fund. The money market fund just does the same and charges you a fee. So 
I would suggest you go and buy TBLC yourself, but money market funds are attracting deposits as well. And they just park money back at the reserve at the reverse repo facility. So they're, they're sucking away in a sense, deposits from the banking system. So the competition is bigger this time. I think the amount of reserves in the system is larger. Governor Waller has made a speech on what he thinks that the level of acceptable reserves in the banking system should be. He said roughly 10% of GDP, that's 2 trillion. That's not far away from, you know, this one and a half trillion ish level that caused a lot of problems, I think, in the repo market. I think, uh, you know, anywhere around two trillion starts to be a bit complicated, especially if you consider that the competition this time is harsher from the treasury because yields are much higher and from money market funds because yields there are also much higher. Why is, why, how on earth could two billion be a problem? I'm not saying it's not, but how on earth could two billion be a problem? Or excuse me, trillion. two trillion, two trillion, I'm sure. Trillion. <laughs> Two trillion be a problem when forty billion was not a problem. Yeah, I understand that the economy is growing, and M two went from seven point five trillion. Uh, now let's just call it twenty trillion. But uh, I mean, the increase from forty billion—I yeah. don't know what percentage increase that is—up to two trillion. Awesome. But it's a lot. It's a lot. So, so these... why why is the system so different now, to where we need all of these bank reserves when back then we didn't really need any? leveraged trades in the hedge fund industry is the answer. And it sounds very complicated, but there has been a proliferation of leverage in the financial market. And leverage in the financial market means that credit needs to be created. People need to lever up their balance sheet, right? And a repo uh, is one way to do that. I mean, many of these hedge funds are trading treasuries using this little capital. Because what they do is they fund their position through repo. So basically, if they want to sell a treasury, what they do is they borrow it first in the repo market. They post the treasury as collateral in the repo transaction. And here they have no short. Do you know the haircuts are this more? I've traded this stuff myself, George. It's this legal capital, which is, means the leverage is very large. Why? That's on the assumption that the repo market is very solid. It's always liquid. There's always a flow of repo, reverse repo transactions. It's a very tight market. That's and and and, and, and who are who are the institutions delivering this credit in the repo market? It's banks mostly. Right. Banks are sitting there to provide liquidity in these transactions. They make a tiny little spread, and they're happy with it. So when you have so much leverage in the financial system, if these bank reserves are shrinking, even if they are two trillion, because of the underlying trades which are so leveraged, they are so large in the hedge fund industry, but not only that, also in banks, in pension funds, all these derivatives around, they require a lot of notional leverage, a lot of it, which means a lot of bank reserves need to be led and created basically to lend away against these transactions. So this time, the economy in 2004, 2003, the market needed much less reserves because really the, the financial markets was built different than it is today. There has been a, a massive proliferation of leveraged players in the market that require leverage. They require repo transactions, which require bank reserves to function smoothly. And that means that the equilibrium is totally different today than it was in 2004 and 2005. Do you think some of it has to do with increased perceived counterparty risk? Because I, I, the way I always think about it in my whiteboards, and maybe I'm wrong, is 
that if they're only $40 billion in reserves, a lot of the transactions between banks, including in repo, are probably settling off the Fed's balance sheet. So That's just correct. settling on the balance sheet of the commercial banks, where after the GFC, now all of a sudden the banks step back and say, whoa, 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 what was that? You know, they just get a left hook from Tyson out of nowhere. And all of a sudden they say, okay, all of this settling that we were doing on our balance sheets, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. Now we would much prefer to settle on the Fed's balance sheet. And since now, because of this increased perceived counterparty risk, it's not like the banks can't create liquidity, like there's some sort of constraint that the Fed can micromanage, but more so they can create as much liquidity as they want so long as they trust the counterparties. And cool. now they don't trust the counterparties, so they need to settle on the Fed's balance sheet. Therefore, the Fed needs more bank reserves or their, the, the size of their balance sheet needs to increase. Is that a, a fair assessment or am I way off? Why do you invite me, George, here? I mean, you have become a monetary plumbing expert. You don't need me anymore. This was a, that's correct. This is correct. This is correct because um, before the great financial crisis, most of the derivatives were um, bilateral transactions, as they were called. So there was no clearinghouse in the middle. Right. You and me, we decided what collateral we needed to post, what margins every day we needed to post against this transaction, and that was it. It was based on trust and the fact that the banking system was strong and you could trust counterparties. Then the great financial crisis happens and you can't trust them anymore, obviously. So you want the clearinghouse in the middle. And a clearinghouse effectively makes sure that you post collateral, you post variation margins and um, all of that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a centralized, fully collateralized derivatives transaction. Right. And that has an impact, yes. Um, and also, to be honest, it ended up probably generating more leverage in the system. Because once you have a centralized clearing mechanism. Yeah, it's like moral hazard. Yes, you are going to be saying like, you know, counterparty risk is not really a thing anymore. I am going to ignore it to a large extent, follow the rules from the center from the clearinghouse and engage more in these leverage transactions. So actually it ended up generating the opposite effect, I think. I mean, there is more control, but there's more leverage in the system now than there was before by far. By far. Right, right. And, and therefore more and more need for T-bills, or maybe better said, more and more need for the collateral. Yeah. Because uh, outside, let's say they can't settle on the Fed's balance sheet, the, the euro-dollar market, uh, the their version of going from settling on the commercial bank's balance sheet to the Fed's balance sheet would be um, just trusting you with a handshake or an, let's say an uncollateralized loan to now all of a sudden, no, 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 we need collateral and we don't just need collateral, we need the best collateral yeah. Therefore, you get this massive bid for the front end of the curve. So look, I always make the case that German government bonds, AAA rated, one of the few trusted collateral in Europe, denominated in Euro, has been trading below ECB deposit rates, below in terms of yields. So it, it, it actually, you get punished for owning German government bonds, or you need to pay for the luxury Best, best said. You need to pay for the luxury to own AAA German collateral rather than park money at the central bank. Yeah, so and I, I, money is so scarce, George. It's so scarce. Sometimes it ended up trading a hundred basis point through the ECB rate. What? It yeah. means there are people that instead of parking money at the ECB, they need paper cash collateral. They really need it. They need to post it to somebody else to get their credit. It's the same thing as the one month. 
uh, alpha is the same thing with the one month at, at various times throughout 2022 the one month was trading like 50 60 basis points under reverse repo then in right. the us but the reverse repo was actually increased by the fed for the very same reason the fed didn't want the optics of negatively yielding t-bills yeah that's why the reverse repo exists because if they, if there wasn't any reverse repo all this now assets of money market funds i mean money market funds would have they had one Monday. They can buy treasuries. That they can't do much more than that, to be honest, George. So they would have all flawed into the stimulus, six, three months, twelve months. They would have pushed up the price so high that yields would have become negative, and the Fed doesn't want to see with negative interest rates. It seems like they're losing control. They're losing their grip on right. the front end. That's why the RRP really exists to give an outlet for these money market funds to park money somewhere. So instead of parking it. On the liability of the government, they park it on the liability of the Fed. Right. Roughly so, the same thing. In other words, let me explain it to the audience here. If there was no reverse repo account at the Fed, that uh, delta between the one-month T-bill and reverse repo back in 2022 would not have been 50 basis points at times. Right. It would have been like 300 basis points. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it would have it's, just it's, been obnoxious. Yes. And, and most importantly for the optics, T-bill yields would have been negative because Fed funds rate were zero back then. Oh, right. right. So then you move T-bill yields into negative territory. And oh my God, there is negative yields in the US. And then it, this is this political backlash that the Fed wanted to avoid. That's why RRP was created in the first place. But I have to say, Judge, you do a great service with this whiteboard videos trying to explain a lot of this. This is not easy stuff, you know? And people need to understand how money works. It's a complicated matter. Yeah, it is. It is. But one thing I was telling everyone when I was going through your, your report, which I, I said is basically like reading a whiteboard video, I was encouraging people because I said, listen, you, you've got Macro Alf, who is has got incredible credentials. This is a guy who is managing, not just thinking about this stuff like I do on a whiteboard, but actually thinking about it and then taking action by allocating billions and billions and billions dollars that that's that's where rubber meets the road so i said if this report is basically an insight to his thinking look at what he's doing i said all he's doing is taking the balance sheets of all the parties involved in a specific transaction and just saying okay well the fed does this then what happens to the balance sheet of the government the banks the money market funds households i said this is how a multi-billion dollar money manager thinks and this is something that you can do. You can do on your yes. own with your own just legal pad and your own whiteboard. So think about if you allocated time to this instead of just listening to Jim Cramer, say bye, 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 bye. Just think of the massive edge that you would have uh, with your portfolio in, in years to come. So that was one of the, the things I was going over when, when we were waiting for you. You know, one thing I'd like... For you to explain here, I didn't get into it too much, is you say that it's not likely for the liquidity and reverse repo, I'm trying to find the part, to go into T-bills or and to go into treasuries. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, okay, let me, let me try to say it uh, in two ways. For that to happen, you need either the Fed that wants it to happen if the Fed wants it to happen, it's very simple, George. They just say, 
ladies and gentlemen, the reverse repo facility doesn't yield anymore a decent return. It yields below, you know, it yields Fed funds minus 50 basis points or something. Right, and so right. it will be like, ah, uh, I have a money market fund. I need to park somewhere. Is there something that yields better than that? Bills. So they would go and flock into bills. So if the Fed wants this to happen, they just scrap the RFP, basically. They make it less convenient and then money market funds can buy Got it. So does the Fed want that? Uh, I think the Fed is trying to drain reserves from the system, not to add reserves from the system. This will be counterintuitive to QT. QT is done so to remove reserves from the system. If you untap and unleash all the money sitting in the RFP, you are sterilizing your QT. You are doing the opposite of doing QT. And inflation is at 6%. George, I don't think you want, as the Fed actively to be doing something that looks like QE. It's not QE, but it could look like QE from the other side. So it's a political reason. And then the second way that money market and fund, money market funds could go and buy T-bills would be if these T-bills would be freaking issued in large amounts by the Treasury Department. Because one way to move the price and make T-bill yields more attractive in yields terms, right? So money market funds can park money at the Fed or buy T-bills. Yields are the decisive factor, really. So how do yields rise? Either demand goes down or supply goes up materially. So if there's a lot of supply of the stables coming to the market, somebody needs to absorb them. And a new price, the new yield will be higher, the new equilibrium. That right. means the Treasury Department needs to issue a gazillion T-bills, mm. gazillion, to accommodate the two trillion something sitting in the other. This was a theory. Do you remember when there was a theory that uh, the Treasury Department that issued a lot of bills so that QT would be sterilized by the money market funds? So you yeah. issue bills, they go and buy the bills and they release reserves. And so you sterilize the QT. That was the idea. People don't understand how the quarterly refunding mechanism works at the Treasury. These guys are not like they're sitting and saying like, um, let's change our entire issuance structure over the next five years. Let's not issue any three, five, 10, and 30-year bonds anymore. Forget about them. We're only going to issue T-bills now. That's not how it works. So it's, it's a political thing. So it's going to take some quite a lot of time, really, for the issuance to move to bills, even if the Treasury wanted it to move to bills. Because, George, if they do, they take a lot of risks. They're, issuing, they're now issuing all short-dated bonds. They need to be refinanced every six months, every six months, every six months. From a risk management perspective, if you're the treasury department, you want to spread out a bit your issuance. You do some short term, you do five years, ten years. So all these two trillion issuance of tables is not going to happen. And the Fed as well is not going to just scrap away the RFP, giving a chance to markets to talk about the new QE coming that offsets their QT. So I, I don't see the incentive scheme, I think, for these money market funds, uh, two trillion to be unleashed back into the system. I don't see yeah. where it comes from. It's an interesting point that the incentives are not aligned at all no. with the Treasury and the uh, Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is trying to fight inflation by raising interest rates. And, you know, the, the Treasury may in the future have to go more and more onto the short side of the, the, the or on the, the um, uh, you know, the T-bills, the what you're saying. And therefore, they're, more exposed to the Fed increasing interest rates as far as the amount of interest they have to pay on their overall debt. So it becomes yeah. a very interesting dynamic there. Yes, pretty much. 
Um, interest on that is, it's a very interesting topic because, um, if you extrapolate that the treasury department needs to pay 5% forever on every bond that will be issuing, uh, it becomes a bit of a problem. You know, a lot of tax revenue effectively has to be spent to service interest on that, right? But the problem is people don't understand how dollars and people don't appreciate how the balance sheet of a government works. It's not the balance sheet of a household. It has not limited resources. It's not like, hey, I'm running out of money. The treasury issues the money, guys. Treasuries are money, are a form of money. They're a form of collateral. They're a form of money. So the, the, their balance sheet works differently. If they need to fund payments on interest, which have become too large, they will just issue more bonds. That doesn't mean nothing happens at the macro level. It does matter because you're basically going into a snowballing effect. To finance your expenditure on that, you issue more debt. I mean, obviously, that, that's not a great solution, right? But they can kick the, the can down the road for quite a lot of time using this trick. And on top of it, are you sure the economy can really handle 5% interest rates forever? Because that's the assumption behind. The assumption is that the Treasury Department will have to pay 5% forever. So all of a sudden, an economy that couldn't deliver strong growth with 1%, 0% Fed funds between 12, 2012 and 2020, this was the average level of Fed fund, 0, 1% maybe 2%, now all of a sudden can deliver strong growth with 5% Fed funds forever. Mm. I don't believe it, George. I don't believe it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, I've also struggled with the idea that the governments, although I, I, I hate government spending, but I struggle with the idea that they'll have a hard time if interest rates get to X, Y, Z, because... You know, the way I look at it is the, the, the United States, the domestic economy, it, let's just say it, it, it's this big, right? Where you've got the global economy that needs dollars, which is a hundred times bigger. Yeah. And so let's just assume for a moment that we have an economic downturn, a global recession. Well, what that means is the euro dollar banks are creating fewer and fewer loans. Therefore, there are fewer and fewer dollars. So the amount of dollars are are shrinking in the system. And under that environment, uh, it would be risk off for sure. So the amount of collateral needed uh, would definitely increase. Uh, you know, that collateral multiplier, if that's a thing, would, would decrease. So now all of a sudden, it's it, the, the worse the global economy gets, the more demand there is for T-bills. So at what point can Janet Yellen supply so many T-bills that it actually in it, it, that it actually impacts the supply-demand dynamic outside of the United States to the point where interest rates on the front end of the curve would spike dramatically? Yeah. And I know that line in the sand is somewhere. But it's probably not at you know another two trillion, as as, as unbelievable as that is. It's You're probably so right. a lot higher than that. You're so right. The thing, the key thing you said is the world runs on dollars. The world needs dollars. World and 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 treasuries, dollars yeah. and treasuries. When I say dollars, is um, dollar and anything that is a close close, uh, let's say relative of dollars. Yeah. High-valued collateral. That's basically dollars for financial institutions. 
that's bank reserves and that's the collateral for non-banks basically so if you are a pension fund you don't have bank reserves what do you have t-bills they are the closest thing to a dollar you can get to basically and the world needs leverage the world runs on leverage and runs on dollars for fuck's sake so how do you think this is going to be a problem the problem can ensue only in decades when the world maybe runs less and less on dollars over time, there has been a slow transition, one of these very slow transitions that normally happen. I mean, we have changed the reserve currency in the world 20 times in, um, I think, uh, five centuries. Like So every 50 years, every 70 years, we have the new reserve currency. Oh, that's okay. It has happened in the past. It will happen again. But events that are disruptive are normally worse, are normally cataclysmic events, not rates are 5%, the treasury cannot afford it. No, guys, that's not how it works. If you want to transition to a new reserve currency, then it either takes a war or it takes decades and decades and decades when the world runs less and less on dollars over time. Right. And people argue, yeah, yeah, that's happening. Sure, a bit. Why not? It's happening a little bit here and there. But are we at a point that is a significant rupture of the current economic system? No, and the numbers are telling you so. Every time there is a deleveraging episode, what does the dollar do? It appreciates or it depreciates? Mm. It appreciates, George. So it's the markets telling you we need these dollars. We need this collateral. So, so as long as the market keeps telling you that, I'm sorry, but your thesis is not your, but I mean, the conspiracy theory of the dollar is this, this over is not, it's not verified. Do you think, understanding what you just said, do you think there's a reverse argument with in looking at your report to where QT could add liquidity to the system because it's increasing the amount of treasuries uh, that it, it, you know because you're you're trading basically bank reserves for treasuries or is that not applicable? because these new treasuries are going onto the balance sheets of households and therefore most likely won't circulate uh, at the banking level in the global economy. So if it was the banks that was absorbing this, then maybe it's actually an argument for increasing liquidity. But if the households are buying the treasuries, then you're, you're, you're decreasing it. What The best possible way for increasing liquidity is that if non-banks, but not households, so pension funds, reserve managers, hedge funds, they own more treasuries. So they have more collateral, yeah. they are more liquid, okay? Right. Bank system, uh, I mean, banks have reserves and access to the Fed. So they have a very close form of um, financial dollar form. So they have bank reserves. Um, for them, it's a, it's a, it's a, really their balance sheet shrinks. That's the problem here for the banking system. The Trotty makes it so that the composition of the balance sheet changes. They have less reserves and more treasuries. Yes. And then I also, oh, go ahead. No, but really what matters is if households instead have to take on these treasuries, that's bad because these treasuries get locked away. Right, right. Not only not only deposits in the banking system go down, that's bad because they shrink the balance sheet of the bank. It makes it less prone to be this liquidity provider that the bank is normal. But also the collateral in the first place is now locked. Because I don't know about you, but the households I know are not going to repo the treasuries. I just going to sit on it. So it gets locked there and it doesn't get reused as collateral over and over again. So that's actually 
uh, pretty negative for liquidity. The best possible way would be if this treasuries, this collateral ends up instead where? At the Saudi Arabia Monetary Authority, at a pension fund, and an asset manager. They become more liquid. So there is no, um, when there is a repo problem, they have collateral at hand actually to service their deleveraging episodes. And that's not what's happening today. Today, the system is becoming more fragile. Yeah. Is there a way that the, just assuming the primary dealers are the ones that could supply and, and rehypothecate a lot of the collateral in the form of T-bills, do they have access to the T-bills on the household's balance sheet if those households hold them with a brokerage or how does that work? Unless the brokerage has a line of credit with the banks, uh, but not necessarily is the answer. So this, okay. you know, even the T-bills that you own at your brokerage account, um, unless the brokerage has a line of credit with the bank, uh, they, and the brokerage actually shouldn't normally speaking, unless you really, um, how can you say, unless you, um, acknowledge that you want this form of collateral to be reused in re-hypothecation. Mm, let's not okay. actively acknowledge that it shouldn't be used actually by the broker in re-hypothecation. Um, so it's, it's safe to say that if it's on the household balance sheet, it, it's, it's not accessible by the most, financial system. Most likely it's collateral locked away. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, households money pressures, it's bad for financial liquidity and for the deposits fight that banks have to go through because the process becomes scarcer and scarcer. Households take it away from the banking system and they lock it away in treasuries. So net-net, it's a pretty bad thing for both for the banking funding system and for overall the overall flow of liquidity and the flow of collateral into the system. Yeah. George, look, um, I need to go. So how do no we problem, handle buddy. No, how can people uh, subscribe to your report? Oh. Before I forget, and um, if I put something in the chat right now, can people see it? Yeah, yeah. But where do I call I think, that? Josh, can they see it? Or Josh can put it in there. Look, basically what I'm doing is, uh, I don't know, where can I post it? I have a private chat here somewhere, and then I... Yeah, put it in the private chat, and then I can put it full screen. Okay. So what's happened is that I've been in New York recently, and um, I have decided to give away a 20% off on annual subscriptions to the Macro Compass. So if you like that excerpt, the judge went through, you want to try it out, you know, it's 20% off for the first 10 subscribers. Here is the link and everything in the private chat. If you guys want to go through and take advantage of the offer, be my guest. There is much yeah. on the Macro Compass. So Alf, we've got about 700 people right now on the live stream. Yes. So what we'll do is Josh is posting it right now so everyone can see it. And then Josh can take this uh, link and he can also put it in the description of the YouTube video because as soon as we get done, it'll go live. Well, it'll, it'll, the replay will be available on, on YouTube. Well, George, I appreciate you inviting me. And again, what a great job you do on this stuff. You know more, I swear, you know more about this than many of these hedge fund guys I used to talk to when I was running. My, I swear, I'm serious. Well, of course, I don't know that that's a compliment. That just tells you that I have ah, that's true. That's <laughs> it. You said it right. You draw T accounts. You go on a blackboard and you draw T accounts. It's that simple. Yeah. It's that simple. I don't use any fancy mechanism to think about money. It's just that. 
spend time, draw T accounts like George does, like I do, and you'll be there. You'll be there. Follow the video George does, follow the courses I'll be doing, and you're there. It's very simple. All right, buddy. I'll let you go. Thanks again for your time. Ciao. Talk soon, guys. All right. Wow. That was